Kia ora welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Great to have Catherine Graham and Phil O'Reilly's company this afternoon. Tuesday, March the 15th. Well, today we are reflecting on the third anniversary of the Christchurch Mosque shootings. Among the many horrors that occurred on the 15th of March 2019 was the fact that the attack was live-streamed on Facebook. So three years on, is the internet a safer place to be? To discuss the issue further, we have inclusive Aotearoa Collective Tahono co-lead and Christchurch Call Advisory Network co-chair, Andrew Rahman. Andrew, kia ora. Nice to have you on. Kia ora. It's been a while talking to you. Always <laughs> happy to be on. It has been a while, hasn't it, Andrew? Hey, now, the, the Christchurch Call to Action was introduced following the attack to prevent this kind of extremism from spreading on the internet. How what what sense do you have on the development over the past few years? Yeah, so I think um, the thing with a lot of this online stuff, uh, and particularly that that incident in the live stream of the Christchurch attacks, brought to light one the need to work across different platforms, and secondly the need to work across different countries because you know we're living in this global online world now, and so. Um, having domestic legislation often doesn't solve some of the problems. Um, so the Christchurch call was set up um, with um, with a view to having both countries, companies and civil society organisations internationally working together. Um, and there was a set of commitments, which you'll find on the website, that um, supporters from companies and uh, countries have to sign up to um, and so there is kind of a vetting process but I think what is crucial about it is the opportunity to have these multilateral conversations um, and as part of the civil society part of the call um, being able to put our views and our concerns forward to both governments and hmm. tech platforms. Do you feel that those concerns, Arjun, have been acknowledged? Uh, you, you've had open ears when you um, give suggestions, and indeed, has progress been made on the Christchurch call? Yeah, so the thing is that we are dealing with some really complex and difficult yeah. issues. Um, and so, yes, there's some progress that has been made. So, for example, the work that was done on the hash sharing database to prevent um, these kinds of videos being uploaded has been done and was really successful. Um, However, it is very limited in terms of it has to be videos produced by the perpetrator that are kind of glorifying the violence. Um, so it, it's a very narrow scope, and just recently they've widened the scope there to include PDFs. Um, other, a lot of the other issues we're slowly working towards, having more transparency um, around reporting, around algorithms, um, to see the impact that particular platforms are having in the way that they're designed and the way they operate. This is the independent um, auditing of an online company's Algorithms. That was uh, one suggestion. Yes, and mm. I've just um, had a piece published on the Internet New Zealand website on that, um, and and I've put that forward as someone who's worked as a chartered accountant for most of my life. Um, in terms of having someone independent go in there, look at information, and right. assess 
what is the impact of your algorithm? Um, for me, it was shocking that Facebook has, weights their angry emoji five times to their like, you know, the like button. Sorry, it's not an emoji. It's when you press those buttons. If you press the angry one, that post will have five times more impact. Than Do they? Like. They weight yeah. it five times more than the like. Yes, which means that they are promoting out, outrage and anger. Yes, that came out from Frances Huygens when she testified to Congress last year. Was it this year? It was recently, anyway. Um, and so, yeah, that, that is shocking. Like we, we need to make sure that that these platforms are not causing harm in the way that they design um, um, the interactions Goodness. and the virality and the recommendations, all the things. Let's bring our panellists. They'll have some views, some questions, perhaps. Catherine? Well, it's such a monumental task, isn't it? I mean, it's almost, if you think about it in a global sense, it's almost unbelievably, I just can't even really get my head around it, to be honest, but I think it's fantastic, the work that you're doing to at least, uh, you know, sort of discover the angry emoji and, and the algorithms, because there's no doubt about it that bad news kind of sells, doesn't it? Yeah. So it and misinformation. <laughs> Sorry, no, but I mean, <laughs> I still, I still think that the fact that, um, but it's kind of like when you um, listen to anyone that is on the right of the spectrum, they're always really rowdy, and you'll always get a reaction. Whereas I think, I mean, this might be just a bias, but I think the liberals are a little bit more less, re well, a less reactive or angrily reactive. You know. Could be well a bias that Phil O'Reilly wants to jump in on, but Phil, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, 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 let's let's bring in your views or uh, questions into this. Well, of course, well, of course, liberals tend to be liberal. It's the, both the left and the right can get pretty angry, right? So, so the, 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 there's a the more I read about the Facebook Google thing, the more I realise they're just amoral. Those guys and. Uh, someone needs to stand up and, and uh, do something about that and it needs to be the US government and for various reasons they may not do that. So it's hard for us to, to do something in little old New Zealand. But I was I was reminded actually by that great that great John Milton quote, which I just looked up, let truth and falsehood grapple. Whoever knew truth put to the worst in a free and open encounter. And of course, the problem we face is that truth isn't in a free and open encounter because of what's going on here. And so you know, there's a, there's a piece for me about saying, well, you can do what you can do with Facebook and Google and all the rest. But you also need to make sure that civil society it's, talks to itself well, and that's about making sure that there's other information out there which has the capacity to hit home to some of these people who might be off in their own little echo chamber, knowing that that's not going to be perfect. But you can't regulate your way out of a Facebook problem here. You need to make sure there's more information mm -hmm. out there for people, and I'm sure there's some good work going on in that space as well. Angel? Yeah, so, I mean, we know that Facebook and Google are doing some things, you know, they're having positive interventions, they put on a lot more moderation staff and so on, but it's certainly nowhere near enough and they're, they're still having a negative impact. But let's remember there are all these platforms that aren't signed up to the yep. call or to any international agreement. So when we think about the Wellington protests, for example, they were using Telegram, they were using Zello, mm. they were using no. encrypted apps. Um, which all of which are not powerful. Um, I, I do agree with Phil that regulation isn't enough, but I think we don't have any that is significantly useful at the moment. So I think there should be some, um, you know, 
things like product liability perhaps and, and other types of, you know, the media review. But on its own, it's not, you're right, it's not going to solve the problem. There needs to be community-based solutions. There needs to be um, yep. other ways to deal with these issues. And finally, and on that, uh, and as part of inclusive, oh, to do a collective, uh, and jump because just coming back to that notion of <laughs> the more you think about it, the more you realise how complex it is. But a key focus of yours is building that both inclusive, inclusivity and social cohesion. Are you confident that when we come 10 years, and we're talking about this in 10 years' time, we would have it sorted, or at least we'd have, we'd have had part of the problem sorted? Um, yeah, that's, that's very difficult to say that we'll have yeah. it sorted. I think, you know, the thing is, I like to say these are complex and messy problems, and human yeah. beings are complex and messy. But, you know, there's still stuff that we need to keep working on, and it's very easy to feel despondent when you look at things online, remembering that a lot of times it's bots, it's paid operators, but what you're seeing is not real actual people giving their views sometimes. Um, and so to keep to keep working at um, at community building, I think is critical. You know, so we try to work on cross sectoral collaborative groups that will take you know community based action, um, and we support them through that. Um, and, and there are other people doing great work in different places. There's a lot of online tips and tools as to how to not um, promote some of this awful stuff. So right. how you talk about it, don't just click the repost share button because you're giving it more views, okay. which is not to say don't challenge it. You should challenge what you see, but be careful that you're not promoting it even more than Very it would interesting. have been. Yeah. yeah. Lovely to have you on again, Andrew. Kia ora. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That is uh, the co-leader of the Inclusive Aotearoa Collective at Tahono. And actually, they've got a great website uh, full of information. Uh, go to that website and you can uh, learn uh, more uh, about that issue. Catherine, Graham, Phil O'Reilly with me this afternoon and a really big response to this next story. Very big response. Uh, the Prime Minister, the Government, uh, the Prime Minister announced yesterday the Government will cut fuel taxes by 20, 25 cents a litre for the next three months have public transport fares. We know all that. There is no doubt that petrol prices are going to remain high for quite some time, which means is it time to take a look, to really take a look at that hybrid or electric vehicle once and for all? Dave Boot from EV City in Sydney was quoted in stuff saying that they normally sell 60 cars a month over the past weekend, sold 30. He said his words, it's been biblical. Not for everyone, price being a big factor, and we have talked about this before, but people are very interested. Here's one. Um, I'm on a very limited income, uh, says Paul. I've bought a 13-year-old Honda Insight with a 1300cc hybrid engine. It's been awesome. It cost me $7,000. Anyone with a budget for an OK car has a choice to go greener, but it is a priority choice. And I prioritise future generations over my need for speed, says Paul. That's one view. Let's bring in uh, Catherine Trounson, Chair of Leading the Charge, a non-profit that advocates for EVs. Catherine, kia ora. Noon, uh, Wallace and panellists. Um, are you sensing a surge in the interest around electric vehicles? 
Oh, indeed, yes. Um, reading all the posts on the, um, you know, Facebook for the EV owners and all the various um, EV channels. Um, there are lots and lots of people uh, now asking, you know, what they should buy and and where they should buy it and um, how much money it's going to save them. How much money does it take to get a hybrid or an EV? I'm on a really budget budgeted, but uh, I'm on a really, um, you know. Uh, um, yes, uh, I know what you're saying. I, 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 I need the budget. I have a family. I want to buy a hybrid or an EV. How can I do it? Okay, the first thing you can really do is is um, create yourself a small spreadsheet because what you need to look at is how much money you're paying uh, at the petrol pump to do whatever you do, you know, whatever mileage you do uh, per week or per month or per year. Because when you look at that, you can find that quite frequently, although you may not think that you could afford a $15,000 EV, uh, you know, a second-hand Nissan Leaf, Wallace, you'll find that if you look at how much petrol you would be saving, if you moved that money from the petrol jar into the finance jar, you would find that probably after four or five years, that car would have cost you nothing. And you then, and then, you know, from there on, it's jam all the way because you, you're no longer financing it, but it's, it's delivering um, fabulous um, economies to you. And you're using clean, green um, New Zealand um, electricity. Okay, and our panelists will have their views on this, but look, if, I, if I'm really up against the wall, I need a hybrid. I'm seeing one here uh, online, a 2010 Honda Hybrid for 6,900 battery life at 75%. Another one here, 2003 Toyota Alphard Hybrid 5006 current WAF. Is that something I can do? But yet, um, what you've got to remember, um, anybody looking at hybrids, is that you are still using petrol. You are still using fossil fuels. It's just that there is a small battery which makes the uh, petrol engine um, very, very, very efficient. And I know I used to drive a Prius um, 10 years ago, and the Prius would do probably four and a half litres for 100k. So uh, most of those hybrids would be in the four and a half to five and a half, right. um, you know, efficiency. Now, um, you know, that... Um, at you know even at five um, uh, five liters per hundred k at three dollars a liter that's uh. fifteen you know that's fifteen dollars um, I charge um, on um, off peak electricity um, at home Wallace and I still can ride, drive a hundred kilometers for three dollars worth of electricity hundred k's yeah three yeah. bucks I mean uh, and and God. I think sometimes. Um, when we when we when we give people that um, that uh, that uh, <laughs> that that sort of nub of information, I think a lot of people listen to it and go, "That cannot possibly be right," and just completely ignore That's it. Right. But absolutely, it <sighs> is the truth. Catherine Graham, a hundred dollars, hundred kilometers, three dollars. Well. I don't know if you remember, but I told you last time, I've had an EV for four and a half years. I so do. You're, you're already speaking. I, yeah, you're speaking to the converted, I'm afraid. So I, I think it's the best Catherine. thing I've ever done. Yeah, thank you. I think it's the, the, I, the, what motivated me to do it is I got a new job and I had to drive 70 k's a day round trip. Yes. And, I, yes. and I thought, no, this is ridiculous. And a mate of mine um, was a real, he was a real EV um, aficionado. And I, I took him along to the, 
to the place out in Penrose and I said, okay, what shall I buy? And I traded my petrol car in and I've never, ever regretted it. Looked Apart back. from, oh. I've never looked back. There's only one thing is that I still haven't quite sussed out the long distance, you know, like, because there's an app and you have to, you know, you can time it and you can actually time when you go and charge your car and all that kind of thing because it's really different on the um on the open road I find but actually I just love it and I I've never had a Honda before I've never had a Japanese car before it's my first Japanese car and it's great I love it so someone <laughs> says here my 2010 Honda on site or in site uh cost me eight grand two years ago has already paid for itself in petrol savings yeah. hybrid is amazing all right Phil you're talking <laughs> to the converter they uh, Catherine uh and Catherine they've both drunk the Kool-Aid <laughs> on EVs. <laughs> what about you? Yes. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a horses for courses thing, isn't it? I mean if you, what do you, if mean? you can afford a hybrid, well in other words, you'll need to work out your capacity to pay. Mm. You need to work out the miles that you might do. You need to work out which car you feel safer and more comfortable in because it's not just about the powertrain, it's also about the safety. Is it a five star safety rated car, for example? Uh, and you're going to need to work out, uh, you know, what, what, what job you want the car to do. And EVs are increasingly becoming a very sensible choice to make. But for some, they won't be the right choice. The, a hybrid might be the better choice or a diesel car or whatever might be a better choice. But I think what the, what the petrol price thing has done is it has shocked people into actually having those conversations. And that's a very good thing for all sorts of reasons. So, uh, you know, you, you need to walk into those low-priced cars with your eyes open, you know, there's right. reliability issues. So it's the same with any type of car you buy, a petrol engine car or a hybrid or, a, or an EV. They're all going to have potentially problems associated with them. So it's just it's a case of putting in place that idea that you want to use less fuel uh, or no fuel, as the case may be, or just electricity, and then trying to work out what's best for your circumstances. And I think that's the lesson okay. here that's, that's coming out. Catherine Trounson, is this a suggestion? Someone says here, I remortgaged my house to buy a new ev my additional mortgage repayments are about 50 dollars less a fortnight than my petrol costs is that one way because you need to get the money well um, that's absolutely right and, uh, and as phil was said that it is horses for courses and different people have different um yeah. uh, workarounds as to as to how they're going to get hold of that kind of money now if you only um spend 10 or 11000 on a second hand leaf or something like that and if like the other catherine she suddenly goes oh i'm not sure i want to drive all the way down to wellington uh, what a lot of people that i know with shorter range cars do is they cast around their family and friends and sidle up to them and say, um, I could just do with borrowing your bigger car because I'm driving down to Wellington. But look, I'm going to give you my leaf for the weekend because you're only tootling around around Auckland or whatever. Um, and a lot of people actually work on that on that premise, or they go and or they go and rent another car because the savings you make are the savings on the on the on the mileage or the kilometrage you're doing day after day after day not the time that you you know you drive down to Wellington and back if you do that once a year yeah, you know it's pointless yeah. to predicate your your um, you know the only car i can buy has to be able to drive to Wellington and yet you do that once a year i mean how yeah. how how dumb is that there are so many questions on this. We're going to have to uh, come back to this, Catherine Trounson. We've got it because uh, I, I, could, I could swamp you with questions. People are obviously quite interested. But for now, uh, kia ora. Thanks for your time. Uh, that you is uh, Catherine Trounson, the chair of Leading the Charge. So uh, just back to you before, because I did remember this. That's why, partly why I brought it up. 
Not that you were an early adopter, Catherine Graham, but, you know, four and a half <laughs> years for an EV, that's actually quite a long time. So in that four and a half years, yeah. let me ask you this. Would yes, you go yes. back to would you go back to a petrol car? Uh, if I maybe if I had to do a lot of long distance traveling, because to be honest, it my car hasn't got a big range. If I had a flash, te- um, what are they called, Teslas or something, yeah. with a or a Hyundai with a bigger range, then probably not. I would just you know I'd be happy, but because my my Leaf only has one fifty max. Gotcha. I would probably yeah, but that's that's the only reason. Otherwise, no, absolutely not. I, once you've gone electric, you never go back. Right. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Thank you so much for your feedback this afternoon. Completely different topic. Anna Samways, and an item about waterbeds in New Zealand. New Zealand Herald really intrigued me. Why? Because mainly I had never thought about them for years. Didn't know they still existed uh, or anyone thought about them. But also because when I was 10, I thought it would be heaven to own one. Slosh around about, exactly, that sort of thing. Anna writes that you'd have to run to the garden hose from a tap in the bathroom or on the window to the bedroom to fill the thing up and the giant bladders held anywhere uh, from 300 to 900 litres. Did you have one? They were a phenomenon in the 80s. And we got quite a few responses. Uh, Waterbeds. I slept on one in Queenstown one chilly winter night. By the morning, the waterbed was a frozen block of ice. So were we. Never again. But someone here says, yes, Super King, 15 years, my 30s and 40s. Wonderful. So comfortable. Great for a little oven until one got to a ventress, etc. I won't go on to the details. But anyway, for a few months <laughs> in the summer and winter, the external temperature was constant enough to have the bed at the best possible temperature. In the hot and cold nights of autumn and spring, the bed was always too cold or hot. I'm in my 70s now. It would be hopeless. But the memories, they bring me a smile. So uh, on the panel, Phil, you'd have one now, wouldn't you? Oh, I'd love one. Oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, I, I slept on one once as a kid. Like I'm, I'm probably your age, an old guy these days. But I always thought of them. Maybe it was my family upbringing. I was brought up a Catholic, you know, past with A-level guilt. And I always thought they were a bit naughty. I thought, you know, mirror balls and waterbeds and stuff were a bit naughty. How so? so? The one How night so I slept so? in one. Oh, I don't know. Because it, it was, you know, it was all a bit... You know, Playboy Mansion. You remember that? There was all that, you know, oh, you know, right. so you, one of your own listeners has said you did naughty things on them. So when I was a kid sleeping on one, I just felt a bit naughty, I must say. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience, because <laughs> that's just my, you know, stunted upbringing. Catherine? My brother and sister-in-law actually have had a waterbed for 35 years. And... Um, <laughs> And my sister-in-law said what, it was a little bit rough at the beginning. It was a little bit like high seas. I didn't ask her what they were doing, and she flew off it a couple of times. However, she says these days they're like you can get them custom-made with baffles in them, and they're just uh-huh. amazing, and she wouldn't sleep on anything else. So there you go. Amazing. <laughs> Wonderful piece of intel, both of you. Phil O'Reilly, who thinks are a bit naughty, Catherine bringing the real information to us. I uh, had two water beds, great. <laughs> One cold morning, and the toddler... <laughs> Turned the light off on the thermostat. <laughs> okay, so they need to be warm. Very good. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National, uh, Catherine Graham and Phil O'Reilly with me this afternoon. It is time for headlines.